0: hi good afternoon and welcome to cio leadership live
1: i'm mary fran johnson your host for the show today and also a contributing columnist on cio.com where i write about boardroom strategies for technology leaders twice a month we produce cio leadership live with the generous support of cio.com and my friends at the cio executive council we're streaming live to you right now on linkedin and twitter And we welcome all of our listeners and watchers today to join in the conversation I'll be having by texting in or by sending in your questions. We have an editor standing by who's watching the feed and who will pass those questions along to me to pose to our guest. So let me introduce our guest today is Justin Kershaw, who is the corporate vice president and CIO at Cargill. In his current role since 2015 justin is responsible for all of the aspects of information technology across cargill's global portfolio of agriculture food manufacturing commodity trading and financial businesses he joined the company in 2012 as cio of its food ingredients business with revenues last year of 114 billion dollars and more than 155,000 employees around the world. Cargill is the largest privately held corporation in the United States. If it were a public company, it would rank about number 25 on the Fortune 100. A very big part of Cargill's mission centers on using technology to improve global sustainability and to reduce food production waste and problems, which is one of the many things I'll be talking to Justin about today. Its customers range from farmers, grocers, and consumers, like you and I, to commercial food companies, retailers, and manufacturers. All told, Justin has more than 25 years of experience in the CIO's chair. He was originally the CIO at W.L. Gore, which is a specialty materials manufacturer, and after that, a divisional CIO at Eaton Corporation, before his move a little more than eight years ago to Cargill. His passion for mentorship and for building strong teams also shows up in his equally long track record coaching youth sports. The last time I saw Justin, and we were just marveling at how fast time flies, was at his August 2017 CIO Hall of Fame induction, where we celebrated his many accomplishments as a technology leader. I particularly remember a story he told me and one i've been retelling multiple times since about how much he enjoyed taking groups of his senior leaders to a week-long improv workshop in minneapolis where they were learning and, and practicing the art of storytelling and at one point he had a rule that every meeting among his executives needed to start with a well-told story and I think we're going to probably hear lots of well-told stories today so thank you so much for joining me today Justin it's delightful to have you here
0: oh great to be here Mary Fran thanks for the invite it's an honor to to be on the show and and share
1: at mutual mutual I often start out these days it's it's such uh it's a it's just such an attraction to start out talking about how's everybody doing during the pandemic. And I'm, I'm a little worried it's getting to be too old of an angle now since we've all been dealing with this for the better part of a year. So let's start out talking about the impact that you're seeing as you think about that long-term on Cargill and its business and also on your tech team. Because I I know one of the immediate disruptive problems that everybody experienced, but you all especially was supply chain disruption. So, Phil, tell us a story about that.
0: Sure. You know, I I don't think it's, uh, it's dragging on too long to ask everybody how they're doing right okay. in the pandemic. Good point. You know, I just would share that right out of the shoe cuz we're still in it and yeah. um and it's tough. It's still it's still hard, right? And I would say the story at Cargill and it's probably similar at other companies, the story of the pandemic at Cargill really starts with our values, right? So, mm-hmm. we you know, we we say that our values are three things, put people first, do the right thing, and reach higher. And mm-hmm. so In the early days of the pandemic, it was in terms of the technology teams, it was to do everything humanly possible to put everyone in the company first so we could keep the organization running. And so that I'm sure everyone's heard many of the stories that was to get everybody remote Mm -hmm. um, and then do everything we needed to do with the technology changes that were happening in our manufacturing operations so people could social distance, they could enter the facilities. In a safe way, exit the facilities in the safe way, reconfigure the manufacturing operations, and move the technology around so people can do things at a distance or as much as possible, and do them with with enormous amounts of PPE. So, you know that was the that was the the beginning of the disruption, and and you know, Cargill is a is a very global company. So we were learning in China early on, mm-hmm. and um, and making the decisions to start making those changes in other parts of the world where we where we do what we do yeah Uh, so that's really the beginning of 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 all the changes
1: well and at one point when we were talking you said that it's uh, this is really the um penultimate example of the physical meeting the digital and the speed of change and adaptation that people, as you, as you mentioned, at most companies were able to do has been, I think, an amazing story about technology and about the way CIOs have, have stepped up. With this, did you have a similar experience where technologies like video conferencing that you thought might take two years to roll out and convince everybody took a matter of like two days?
0: Yeah, no, it, exactly. And the one story at Cargill is we had a—I think it was an 18-month rollout plan for Microsoft Teams. Okay. Right? So we were a, we were a fairly heavy user of Skype on a monthly basis, but we had a—you yeah. know—we were a rollout for Teams planned, and I think we did it in two weeks. Okay. <laughs> you know, okay. So, and we went from uh you know, we've we've transitioned you know to about a 100 million minutes a month of uh, of video conferencing using mm-hmm. Microsoft Teams and we still use a little bit of Skype, but Skype went from you know 27 28 million a month. Now it's down to you know um, you know much smaller numbers and Teams is in the 90 million plus, you know, approaching 100 million minutes a month. So it's been a, it's been a huge mm-hmm. change, right? And we do things remotely today. We would have thought, no, you would never try yeah. that no, Nobody
1: will be willing to do that.
0: Right, you know, <laughs> like a large manufacturing ERP implementation over a multi-billion dollar business done completely mm-hmm. remote. You know, that's, yeah. that's, we would have never thought of that in the past. And now it's a reality
1: well and you can imagine as a cio if you were to waltz in and propose that during a board of directors meeting you know the first thing they would say was like um somebody get just in a chair and he needs a cold cloth for his head you know right (laughs) so and i think we may have just broken a record we already have a question from our watching and listening audience and it's a good one how does existing employee reskilling and learning fit into the recovery process and that I think is the future of work return to work kind of question that most CIOs are spending a lot of time thinking about these days. So what do you think about that existing employee reskilling
0: and retraining? Well, you know, um, in the remote mode, you have, I think more of an opportunity, more time maybe to, mm-hmm. uh, to take online training. Yes. And, uh, so we've, you know, we've taken uh, a catalyst was the name of the training. It was executive level uh, digital business leadership training that we mm-hmm. two years ago, three years ago. Now we rolled across the top 300 executives in Cargill. We've now moved that to an online uh, training and we're driving that down through the company uh, and across mm-hmm. the company. So, so we up our, you know, um, quotient of knowledge on how to lead and create and innovate um, digital in our businesses. And it's, you know, it's starting to pay off. Yes. But so that's one, you know, that's one good example of, of, I would say, I don't know that that's reskilling, but that's adding skill and it's adding capability to the leadership mm-hmm. um, and, and the folks that, uh, that operate, you know, in our supply chains and, uh, and all the way out to our commercial relationships with our, with our customers.
1: Well, and Cargill is not one of those businesses. You're not a Silicon Valley tech company where everybody has the option to work from home. So talk a little bit about how that how that balance is working out now that we're so far into it. I know that there are some things where you simply have to be there. You mentioned the PPE, the personal protective equipment and things. Uh, so talk a little bit about where you are with kind of that mix.
0: Well, for... Everyone who is part of a production facility and production operation uh, Mm -hmm. that has to be in and you know really moves and makes and moves the food, they're still going into our facilities on a daily basis. So we've done a lot of reconfiguration there, Um, and you know all the uh, safety protocols have been added and the Mm -hmm. PPE and all that, as I mentioned earlier. And, And everyone who's really um you know information workers like myself and our teams we're still primarily remote now we, in other parts of the world like asia we have had some folks go back to the office mm-hmm. um, but we've you know we've we've made the purchases and implemented the the solutions that have allowed for more and more sophisticated um you know work in a remote mode so mm-hmm. i mean I, you know one one story i would give you is we run a fairly large commodity trading operation and there's a lot of sophisticated technology that traders use a lot of analytics multiple screens all that well we we moved that to remote and traders continue to trade around the world and do it quite successfully we we would have never thought those those are teams that were always co-located in in trading centers and operations You know, if I had again, like you said, walked into the boardroom or onto the trading floor and said, "Everybody, pack up your stuff and let's go home, and we're going to do all the trading from home," you know, that would that would have been just you know crazy talk. And now, Mm -hmm. no, we've been able to do it quite successfully, but it took a lot of work. I mean, it took it took a lot of work to get it better and better, and to the point where we could stay in that mode. But I think, you know, we're going to we're going to learn how to be in a new hybrid environment. Of remote work and in-office work, and we'll redefine why we mobilize Mm -hmm. uh, and why we do. We keep certain work remote, and you know, the further we get into the pandemic, and the more things we've attempted over and over, and brought, you know, improvement to it, even in the pandemic. Yeah, um, the more we're also learning what is done really well like this, and what would probably be better if we could mobilize and get together for certain things. Right. I mean, so I think we're, I think we're beginning to figure that out. Right. And some of the really complicated technical things we do, having people be able to get together and whiteboard it out and, Mm -hmm. um, and, and get the energy from one another. Right. Yes. Um, You know, is, is, um, is important. And even, even in our cyber command center, which we have a, Sophisticated command center. You know, when we're responding to certain things, you know, I was just on a call this week with our lead there and our CISO talking about, yeah, there's just some things. You know, if they're la- if they're larger or more complicated, it's better to get together and try and solve them faster and you know the, yes. those types of things.
1: Yeah. Well, now, I've heard um, when I ask uh, other CIOs about, you know the emerging technologies front and the tools that they wish they had right now I hear a lot about digital whiteboarding and mm-hmm. about how as a technology it feels as clunky to people as having to use a you know a landline in your house that that's one area where we could definitely use better because you're and that ability to that energy and innovation communication thing that you have when you're in a room with people. I don't know that until we have like holograms, you know, like on Star Trek, I don't know that we're gonna be able to get to that on a screen. I had one CIO uh, likened it in a conversation I recently to trying to have a 3D experience in a 2D format, Mm. which I thought was a pretty interesting way to put it. One of the things that you brought up that I thought was we were talking about highlights of the the good surprises from the pandemic was the speed of it. You were talking about how your organizational lines from the tech standpoint pretty much dropped to the floor and a lot of the hierarchical boundaries pretty much vanished. Talk a little bit more about that, um, because that has a lot to do with your company
0: culture. It, it is very relationship company culture, Cargill. And, uh, you know, we've been around for a long time, 100 and, over 155 years and uh, and quite large, all over the world, very global. And you would, you would paint that as a big, giant, slow moving, you know,
1: battleship,
0: battleship, yeah. right? An aircraft carrier that can't turn very slowly. When we, I think a lot of companies found this out, but uh, it was it was inspiring to watch just how fast and nimble uh, this big giant company was across many many aspects of the company. So I don't want to just say that it was the technology team. I mean, our manufacturing operations, mm. our commercial people, our supply chain people, HR, legal, everybody. Um, you know, in the early parts of the pandemic the organ, it didn't the organizational lines mattered far less than they did pre-pandemic mm-hmm. and subject matter expertise really kind of it's always important right but it really <laughs> rose up and it was just get the right people together to get done what has to get done and um, you know so we our CEO uh, David McClellan, he asked us all as leaders to take notes right like what's what's really good? That, mm-hmm. that, you know, like, and, and it was, it was also a good psychological mm-hmm. tactic for us too, because we're trying our best to make lemonade from the lemon of the pandemic. And, you know, everyone was having family members impacted and, sure. um and that's always a concern, right? And no, no one's, no one is going unscathed around the world. Um, yeah. So it's touching everyone. And, and so trying to write down the good of it mm-hmm. and carry it forward and make sure as, as we do more and more like this over time, mm-hmm. we take notes and um, and do our best to keep the best of what we've learned how to do differently mm-hmm. in the pandemic. We've certainly done that in the technology teams. And now, you know, we really need to figure out what all of that we really keep mm-hmm. um, and and what, you know, we... we do the way we used to do it, and I think we're going to keep an awful lot of new ways of doing things.
1: Uh, well, that as we go forward. yeah, that's a great point, and it actually plays into. And I have to thank our listeners who have uh, are joined us and are watching because they're sending in some awesome questions. Here's one: Do you think the changes we have driven will hold a lasting legacy of a flexible mindset on what the art of the possible really is in times of challenge? And that seemed that question goes right to the heart of what we're talking about
0: here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think most definitely, right? I mean, you know, in in the end, you know, the the values of companies and the, you know, Cargill is want to nourish the world in a safe, responsible, sustainable way. Yeah. We're certainly help we certainly have helped sustainability in the in the pandemic. And uh and we we've been also able to get people together virtually that wouldn't necessarily you know, as easily gotten together and we're able to work on some things in some different ways. And uh, that's starting to stick, Mm -hmm. right? You know, like you don't have to get on a plane and fly all the way around the world. Like that's really resonating with us now. And we can Mm -hmm. get an awful lot of, awful lot of work done differently. Right. You know, so I have a a meeting with the CEO of TCS and we used to, we get together you know, at least once a year. And we've been, we've done them, you know, virtually now. And I, we were both smiling and we were fresh because we just arranged the hours. No one got on a plane and flew all the way around the world. And we actually had better meeting, right?
1: Yes. I can
0: reach out to the executives of our partnerships and have discussions. Um, And, you know, do I miss some of the face-to-face? Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But, if I'm honest, and I'm honest, the meeting's <laughs> better like this because no yeah. one's tired and time zone lagged, and and so yes. there's a lot of that that's worked into our programs, our projects, our project management. You know, there's a and and I think you know we're 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 figuring out how to mm-hmm. how to get it done.
1: Well, and I've been hearing that too. I'd mentioned in the intro that I write a column about boardroom strategies for technology leaders, and I talked with a lot of. I've been asking a lot of board members and CIOs who deal with their boards about that, you know, how, whether it's been so difficult during this virtual, you know, this Zoom culture that we live in now, or, or WebEx or Teams, you know, whatever your chosen video flavor is. And I have been consistently told that everybody's actually Getting a lot more out of it in surprising ways, like you can you can reach up and down in hierarchies in companies a lot more effortlessly than you used to be yeah. able to. And and when is communication a bad thing, right?
0: Right, right. You yeah. know, no, Another thing I think you know from a from a story standpoint, I think that's that's really sticking to is mm-hmm. people are open to technology advancement like never yes. before, right? Yes. So if I think from our customer back. Like I'm spending more time meeting with Cargill customers, right, and talking about technology in our relationship okay. to improve the relationship, and even putting our teams together to work on that. Now, mm-hmm. pre-pandemic, we would we would have to get together and meet. Now we're doing it online. We're having more of those conversations. It's the same way internally as well. Yeah. You no, know, we're we're able to. Um, people are open to trying more, and so you know we're mm-hmm. farmed. Cargill is farm to fork. We're innovating with digital on the farm gate like we haven't in, in the past. And we were right. in the past, but it's it's accelerating more through the transport of the food and the production of the food all the way to, you know, the food service industry and the retail industry. Yep. And we just have innovation going on and those customers, you know, are more open and more willing and we're more open and more willing to attempt things we wouldn't have attempted in the past because yep. of the necessity of having to do some things differently because the business has been changed by the pandemic.
1: Well, and I think sometimes, and I, and I know we're guilty of it across the technology industry, we make too big a deal out of innovation with a capital I. You know, we go to conferences for it and we have big, huge meetings and they bring in expensive consultants to run the process. And sometimes innovation is just adaptation and trying something new. And there seems to be a much more open mindset to that. Um, yeah. And actually, that I think that plays into our next question about the pandemic effect on the supply chain. That is something that is a special expertise uh, of Cargill's and of yours, because all told, about 20% of the world's food supply chain runs through you guys or by you guys. So talk a little bit about that, about some of the uh, the state of the supply chain today for food production and what you're working on there.
0: Well, you know, Just real quick, back to your last point. You know what we would say in Cargill about that innovation, particularly in the technology oh. organization, is the aggregation of marginal gain, right? So get a little <laughs> bit better and a little bit better and bring innovation to it to get a little better, a little better, a little better, and, and keep yeah. doing it. And so that's that's how we think about that. Okay. Um, the supply chain is more stable today than it was in the beginning at the start of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can imagine, you know, people buying as as they could right um you know as they were went home you know uh, all kinds of shelf stable food which had a certain level of demand pre-pandemic went that food source went way up that food type went way up so because people were gonna cook at home right so um and the restaurant they
1: were were gonna bake their own bread by god
0: there's all kinds of food Mm -hmm. in the home now, and volumes that are that haven't been in the past because, mm-hmm. and then the other part is it wasn't being consumed at restaurants, so that demand just went off a cliff. Yeah. Right? Um, however, you know, the, there's the same number of calories are mm-hmm. going to get consumed by the people on the planet. Mm-hmm. Folks are going to folks are going to get the calories. They're going to get them in different places. They're going to buy make different choices, mm-hmm. and so the imagine that you know massively disrupting the the supply chain another big issue in the early days was getting folks in the industries that require production workers to be in facilities is to get enough people in the facilities in order to keep the production up and understand how much you could produce um, from what facility what day what time what week what shift
1: Mm -hmm.
0: so if just in a big picture, think of the massive amount of analytics that shot up in order to figure that out so that yeah. you're not overproducing or underproducing, but you're adjusting your production and you're, you know, you can't, in Cargill, you can't take a facility that, that we produce food for, for retail and turn it into a restaurant or some, or a production mm-hmm. facility that's dedicated to a food service industry restaurant, mm-hmm. right? Right. it's it's going to get processed even further at the restaurant. Um, You can't take that facility and turn it into a retail um, producing facility. You can do a little bit of that, but so you had facility production going up and down all over, all Hmm. over the world. And So, you know, we, we worked on uh, the supporting technologies that would help make all that decision-making happen, you know, better and faster while, while the operations folks were, physically changing the facilities so people could be safe, um, could come into work, could get the job done. And, uh, and, you know, that, that is um, a big part of it. And then Mm -hmm. when you think of farmers who grow food and feed the food, they're going to, they're going to go fill up every bin and every silo with feed uh, because they want to make sure they have it to feed their product. Yeah. Uh, so so that's going to that's going to affect the commodities, you know, are going to go up and down. So there's would be a lot of volatility in the market around there, mm-hmm. around those, those commodities. And so we experienced all of that. And, um, you know, by and large, it's it's um, it's less disruptive now than it was, but it's still quite disruptive
1: yeah. when you
0: look at pre pandemic types of disruption
1: right but of course some of the and and this is a point i know you and i have made multiple times to each other that disruption and adapting to it and that, that ability to be nimble and turn quickly is something that IT and IT leaders have really gotten better and better at over the years. And I think I, I was thinking back to those notes that you're keeping to discuss with your CEO. And I know this is a favorite practice of yours, you know, writing these wise ideas down. How how does that wisdom get delivered? Does the CEO get you all on a LinkedIn call and everybody says, What was my big lesson of the week? I mean, what is what's the the how that is delivered part of it.
0: Well, it's uh, it's it's actually a practice I learned from a mentor, um, mm-hmm. you know, a number of years ago, which was when you would have mentor-mentee discussions. Mm-hmm. My mentor said, okay, here's how we're going to do this. Every time you come and visit, right? right, I'm going to ask you, what have you learned since the last time we visited? Mm-hmm. And then the next visit, you get to ask me, my mentor, I get to ask them, Mm-hmm. What's the last thing you or what have you learned since the last time? And um, and you know, as simple as that sounds, um, it took me a while because I would see the I would see the meeting on the calendar and I go, Oh my god, I gotta what did I learn? I gotta go, cram
1: for this. I gotta cram
0: <laughs> to figure out what I learned. And now yeah. it, it over the years it made me much, much more purposeful about that's you know, the increased note taking and are you learning mm-hmm. something? So what, 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 uh, David McClendon did was he asked us, you know, write down what you're learning. Right. And we'll talk mm-hmm. about it. Right. Okay. And then, you know, so I've had conversations with him, you know, since the pandemic, uh, and even before about, you know, what, do, what have we learn since the last time and what are we doing about it? Mm-hmm. Why are we learning what we're learning? Right. I mean, you want to make sure you're, you're purposely learning too. So, yeah. uh, you know, we're, we're, um, so we're implementing it by asking the question, mm-hmm. you know, what have you learned? And then what of that do we really want to activate on, right? So yeah. we'll we'll work that into our business planning. We'll work that into our goal setting. And that's how we'll carry forward what we've learned through the pandemic.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm curious too. I've heard some companies have really changed the way they survey their own employees, like instead of once or twice a year doing that massive employee survey that all the department managers have to torture people to finish and you have to get it in <laughs> and it gets captured. I heard, I, and I, I think maybe it was Amazon was doing this practice where once a week, they were just sending this open-ended question to everybody, you know, and it, along the lines of, you know, was your manager supportive this week? Give us an example. I mean, something really simple that way have, have, has Cargill changed any of those ways in terms of taking that pulse of the organization and who's doing what and how are you all doing?
0: Yeah, no. And again, uh, you know, we talk about this very early on, you know, we're trying to ask each other every time we're getting on these calls, how are you doing really, yeah. right? Yeah. How are you really doing and, and letting people share about how they're, how they're really doing. So that's been a, that's been a practice. We yeah. still do our formal, Um, survey of the entire corporation, we still have that formal survey, but we do a lot more of what we call pulse surveys, as you were describing. So Mm -hmm. we and then we call them pulse surveys. And so Mm -hmm. we'll use that to get people's input on issues, right, and and things we want to know more about. And I think that's working. uh, That's working well
1: well i know and this may be you know a a preference i have for anecdotes and stories because they work so well when you're trying to describe something to people but in all the surveys that we did over the years for our various cio events and i know that you know they're still ongoing now cio.com is running a lot of those and a lot of my colleagues at idg still do this my favorite part of the surveys was always the verbatims where you would ask people, you know, what could we do better at this? What else would you like to see on the agenda? Well, I mean, we would literally build new agenda items for future events out of that feedback because it's so valuable. It's coming from the audience. You're trying to keep engaged essentially. Now, if you don't mind doing like a, a quick pivot on something, sure. you mentioned that your cyber command center earlier and that, prompted a question from our alert listeners and watchers about how cyber attack uh, incidents keep happening as a result of people, so many employees working from home. And since those attacks focus on human behavior, is security awareness the only way to prevent these human behavior-based attacks? it's a real it's a good question i mean if everybody does what they're supposed to then supposedly these attacks wouldn't happen as often how uh, what can you tell us about how the how cargill is handling that these days um and i understand you're not gonna you're not gonna detail too much about your cyber command center but what can you tell us about how you're handling all that
0: yeah we uh, you know we we modeled our centers off uh, center off of what we think are some of the best cyber command centers in the world, you know, the, the mm-hmm. banking industry and energy, and they have, you know, and, and uh, have pretty sophisticated um, centers. And so we, we modeled off of that. And, you know, we're, we try and prevent, detect, defend and respond and restore. Um, mm-hmm. You know, those are the, the, big, the big nuggets. Uh, we, we operate to a framework, mm-hmm. right? So a, a security framework Um, behavior analysis is a, is a part of that for sure. Um, Training and, uh, and, you know, training your employees and enlisting all employees. It's kind of like safety in the workplace. Yes. You know, so, you know, safety at Cargill is uh, first and foremost. It's about putting people first. Right. And, and, uh, and so it's, it's the same way from a cyber standpoint, you got to educate and educate and then you got to test them. Right. So we, we we do Mm -hmm. a lot of that. Um, And then we do, a, uh, you know, we have some sophisticated tools that are, you know, doing analytics and Mm -hmm. watching our environment and every single aspect of our environment and learning the patterns of the environment. And so those types of tools allow you to be alerted Mm -hmm. if something seems uh, out of, you know, out of the pattern. And so then other people can do the analysis to go find out is that friend or foe. Um, you know those we're, we're doing uh, what most of the more advanced large companies in the world are doing to defend. but certainly um, it is getting uh, significantly more difficult uh, because it is getting easier and easier to get good at um, attacking and it's essentially turned into an industry, right? And, oh sure.
1: yeah and, so, and, and it's a so, growth you know. industry in the past year, isn't yeah, it?
0: Yeah and it's and uh, yeah. vigilant vigilance. You know, yeah. vigilance. You're never, you're never good enough at this. Uh, you wish you didn't have to be, but you got to keep right. making the investments and mm-hmm. um, and and doing the right thing to uh, to keep the company up. It's a it's a it's a huge responsibility, and yeah. uh, and it, it uh, it's a big part of the job and the time um, yeah. put in to to uh, to you know keep keep the corporation running essentially.
1: Yeah, well, and I know you've been quoted saying um, in the past that if the technology organization is run right, it should be the primary driver of change in a company. But it, it's also the primary driver of keeping everything going. All that, all that, keeping the lights on and the foundation stuff. There, I think people forget about that when they start talking about more lofty strategic leadership goals that this is all with the assumption that the foundation is very strong and secure um like like many other cios you've remarked to me that you wish you didn't have to spend as much time on it as you do and it's it's definitely more intense since the pandemic
0: job one every night you lay your head down you uh you gotta (laughs) keep the corporation running right it has to run and um and you know we at cargill we have a fantastic team of of people and partners that help us, help us do that. Right. But yeah. I, I do, Mary Fran, I believe deeply the technology organization led, right. Is the, is the change organization in the corporation.
1: Good.
0: Um, and if, and, and should be most of the time, the tip of the spear for that change and change itself. Mm-hmm. right? So that uh, you're not just, helping others change, you're you're doing that to yourself so you know what it feels like. Yes. Um, yes. Because you we do lead a lot of change in uh, in, mm-hmm. in our organization. And um, I I believe that is the one of the big roles of the CIO and yeah. any and any technology executive.
1: Well, in all, all of the many years that CIO Magazine <clears throat> and now CIO.com does that state of the CIO research, I think we're 15 years into the data now. And uh, the number one that always comes up as the biggest concern is managing change. So it's definitely, it's kind of what we're all about, isn't it? You know, which, which I think is what makes it so fascinating, especially for people like me. I'm not a technologist. I just talk to technologists for a living and it is just... It's always a, it's a completely changing story all the time, which I think is yeah.
0: what makes it so interesting. You know, you know, I'll give you a I'll give you a quick story. In a, a at Cargill, since twenty seventeen, without putting numbers out there, we've more than doubled the amount of what we call change portfolio investments with technology. We've more than doubled it in four years, um, in terms of the investment, and uh, and so that just gives you the that makes true the statement of the pace of change will never be as slow as it is, you know.
1: You can quantify that.
0: You can quantify it, yeah.
1: Can you pluck something off that list that gives us an example of what a change portfolio, what did you call it, a change?
0: Well, the the way we organize... Are financially is, you know, we call run, running the corporation. So operating the corporation, running yep. everything from the, you know, the command centers, the life cycle, to all the systems uh, that we have all over the world, a very, very large environment. And, um, and that we call that run. Right. And, and, uh, and so yep. we use a lot of third parties in that, in that environment, uh, mm-hmm. or, or in that area of spend. And then the second big area we call change. So those are all our programs, multi-year programs and and projects mm-hmm. uh, that require technology investment um, and are changing processes, putting in new capability. So, you know, we we are doing that from the farm all the way to your fork. If mm-hmm. you think about the entire supply chain, I mean, we have mm-hmm. investment after investment to either improve the way our Operations work to make the food, right? So I, you know, you'll hear me talk about blockchain and distributed ledger, and I'll also, well, you'll also hear us say you can't eat a blockchain. Somebody has to make the food, right? Mm-hmm. So, so all those investments, mm-hmm. um, you know, are are what we call change, and uh, and you know, it's, it affects how people do their job and get work done, and mm-hmm. and uh, so that level of investment in Cargill has more than doubled in the last four years, which means we have a lot of that work, that change work more yeah. than ever in the history of the company in flight right now as I sit here and talk to you. That's right. Cool. So
1: let it, since you brought up my favorite topic, blockchain, I, I, as I was explaining before we got on this call for the last couple of years, I've been, every time I get on a call with the CIO, you know, I'd say we, we start talking about emerging technologies and big data and AI and all that other stuff. And then I say, what about blockchain? You know, cause we were, I was always looking for case studies and use case studies that I could put on stage or on a virtual stage. And it delights me to no end that you've got a great blockchain story to tell, but it's distributed ledger technology. So fill fill me, fill me us all in on that. I know that um, Cargill's the last couple of years, you've been making news with the various things you've been doing and that there's a hyper grid blockchain open source standard that you are also um, a, a very key player in. So sketch that out for
0: us. Mm-hmm. Sure. So we we believe that there are a couple of significant technology capabilities that are going to have uh, tremendous impact, transformational impact across mm-hmm. agriculture and food. Uh, one of one of those is computer vision and AI. Mm-hmm. Um, another would what we call distributed ledger technology, and we would, which is AKA also known as blockchain. You know, we we're 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 also you know a little bit skeptical about blockchain as well, but we're not skeptical about distributed ledger technology, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, we believe multiplayers sharing transactions or transactions being recorded across a ledger of multiple parties uh is gonna it's gonna have transformational change to traceability and transparency of ag and food. Um have we figured we haven't figured it all out yet, but we have um implemented so we have a Honeysuckle White Turkey Brand, and we implemented a very simple distributed ledger to the farm all the way to the grocery store, where someone would have all the traceable information, or an or a lot of the traceable information about that product um, through a through a mobile application mm-hmm. off of an identification on on the uh, on the bird. And uh, and we did that because we wanted to learn. Yeah. Uh, we're we're also building and contributing to the Hyperledger grid, you know, distributed ledger technology or blockchain tech open source group um, that is that is building out different types of distributed ledger. Mm-hmm. And so Cargo, we've been contributing our own engineering. Um, and the engineering that we're developing with others into that open source community. Uh, one of the significant ones is what we call splinter. And that allows, that allows participants on the ledger to securely interact with one another um, over uh, sets of information. Yeah. And so that's, that's our capability that we call splinter. And so we think we believe from the farm all the way to the fork that the more, participants we can get, right, to create solutions, let's say around, you know, soy or cocoa or um, maize, you know, so we so we know more about where things come from, where they're going, um, how they're grown, and be able to um, share secure, validated information about that. Um, we think distributed ledger technology will be a big part of that, right, so in, in the supply chain. Also between us and our customers, when you think about it, we'll have multi-billion dollar relationships with certain customers. And so the administrative costs and the waste associated with that, um, that ledger technology will, as, a, as an architectural underpinning, has the opportunity, mm-hmm. we believe, mm-hmm. um, to make, make those relationships more and more efficient, contributing to sustain, more sustainable solutions, um, in real time versus let's say EDI or point to point. So this is why we've been making these investments and beginning to bring them to our, com- our customers, right? And, uh, and eventually maybe all the way to consumers.
1: Well, and I think and from a consumer standpoint, I think that that tie-in to traceability and sustainability it puts it in that bigger picture that just makes it, I think it makes it resonate more with your average Joe and Jill, I guess. And I was thinking the other CIO that I've I talked with extensively about distributed ledger technology happens to be the CIO Bumblebee Foods because they've been, they've been using very successfully uh, the blockchain technology from the time a fish just pulled out of the ocean off Vietnam to getting to your uh, uh, table at you know like in a, a fancy restaurant back when we used to easily dine at fancy restaurants and you could find out all sorts of things about what was on your plate um, yeah. and yeah. Uh, it just it seems like a it seems like such a fun thing to know we may have information overload on that at a certain point but I uh, when once you get into that sort of thing especially if you have food allergies and sensitivities. It's just, it's great information to have. Um, But I'm so biased on that because I always think that more information is better. So I have a, a weakness that way. Now, one of the things I always ask my guests about is whether their strategic technology priorities has anything shifted up or down on your particular list. And when I asked you this question, we were getting ready for this interview. The first thing you started talking about was your talent.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I'll answer talent, 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 talent. You know, <laughs> you know. Um, over and over. We're, we're obviously making the shift. You know, if I if I think about the question, I would say maybe it's three things, right? The, it's okay. the tech trends, right? So mm-hmm. it's, you're obviously, you know, data, 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 right? Computer vision, AI, machine learning, mm-hmm. intelligent automation. Distributed Ledger, IoT, these things were involved in all of those trends. And then it's number two would be the ways of working and and our mindset. Our mindset now is more and more product, right? Platform and services versus infrastructure applications, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, networking, data center, right? You know, we're really thinking about the stack together in platform and services and a product mindset to build products that run on those platforms and deliver a service, yeah. right? Even in even across our entire company. Mm-hmm. Um, and also taking that out into uh, the industry as well. So that would be the ways of working, would be number two. And then the third would be, you know, we, we spent a lot of time talking about it earlier. It's like security, 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 right? And bringing the new technologies into security, like AI, machine learning, all those things are important in the securing of, uh, of the industry and, and mm-hmm. the food supply and, and the company. yeah. Um, so those are, you know, those are the, the, the big blocks of right. things that we're, we're working on. And so across those three, it's talent, right. And it's more and more engineering talent, uh, development, developer talent, you know, but like the, the talent to implement the big enterprise solutions, mm-hmm. we, we have that talent. Um, and, you know, because a lot of the big companies like Cargo, we, we run on these large enterprise solutions, but it's it's a whole new layer of data and platform and services solutions that are underpinned by that foundation of large enterprise solutions where where we're, um, you know, seeking the talent, right? You know, yeah. I, I would say, um, a data scientist would love to work at Cargill, right? With the, mm-hmm. with the data that we have and the impact that that type of work is uh, is going to have. Intelligent automation, and machine learning capabilities, and the engineering around that—we are um, well on our way into applying that across many facets of the food supply and, ag- and agriculture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's really, you know, it's really quite fascinating.
1: Well, I remember in the early months of the pandemic, a lot of CIOs that I know across different industries, especially industries that were very used to bringing everybody into the corporate headquarters, said, oh, this is great. I've got a national hiring market now. I can hire anywhere. And I, I was thinking myself, well, so can everybody else. So <laughs> has has anything substantial changed in the way you attract talent? I mean, I know you've got that that sustainability mission and you know, improving food distribution around the world. So you've got a, a sort of a noble quest that you're on at Cargill as well. Um, but you're also a great big, huge company. And sometimes people are just gravitating toward more of the smaller ones. So what has changed for you? Or how have you adapted your hiring practices during the last year?
0: Well, they're, they're changing and, and, a, and a big we're, we're paying really close attention to mm-hmm. inclusion and diversity and doing, you know, giving ourselves uh, unconscious bias training across the organization again. Great. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, we could say there's a there's a part of that that we are woke to yet again mm-hmm. um, globally. And so, you know, really, really making sure our practices um, are open inclusive, diverse. And uh, so, you know, we're, we're doing a lot more in regards to that Mm -hmm. Um, we're speaking and telling our story in the world more. Right. So, I mean, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm here today, but uh, we're trying to share more of the Cargill story because we believe that some of the top technology talent, the more they know about what we do and what we really do and the impact that they can have on some critical problems for, the world Mm -hmm. um you know they're gonna want to come here and and take up you know the opportunity to have an impact on on that and yes i don't think we've adapted to this yet but i think it's beginning yes we can hire anywhere in the world now because Mm -hmm. we're going to do a lot more work like this the pools of talent um are less tied to the specific locations in the world and you can really Hire someone in an area of the world where there's a lot of that talent, and they can stay there. Now, time zones
1: are mm-hmm. going to have an impact. They make it you
0: know more difficult uh, if you're having to work globally across all those time zones. But I think we're going to figure that out as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and yeah, I think our our the pool from which we can attract talent is and it's like this for for everybody is gone up, and that's a good thing right that's a that's a that's a good thing and and you know to really really focus on you know the being inclusive and diverse and 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 trying to bring talent in is is a a really really big focus for us across the entire corporation
1: now you mentioned data scientists do you have any like top hiring categories that you're just always on the hunt as has something come further up the list now
0: well for my teams, mm-hmm. it's it's software engineering, it's it's okay. data and data and analytics, um, yeah. and um, and yeah, I mean those are those are two two of the two of the big ones, and product product leaders, you know, people who know how to uh, lead the creation of a technology product and take it to a market, right? So, so I'll a short story we we shrimp farming cargill is big into feeding you know and creating feed and and health and nutrition for shrimp farm and their product and shrimp is going to be a more and more uh, critical supply of protein for the world as the population goes to nine billion or 10 billion by 2030 2050 excuse me and um so shrimp is a warm water species and we mm. we hired the talent and and now have a business called aquatic which is a shrimp farming platform uh, that helps shrimp farmers be more and more efficient with the creation of their product and manage their ponds better you know feed the shrimp when they're supposed to be fed and stop feeding them when they've had enough and you know all kinds of other analytics and we're going to make that platform more and more sophisticated Mm -hmm. um, to help those shrimp farmers uh, be you know more precise and more accurate and so you know that's going to be an important source of protein mm-hmm. for the world yeah. and um and there will be analytics more software engineering product management ai um mm-hmm. involved in the as that gets to be bigger and bigger and we're creating the same solutions for other types of farmers from dairy to swine you know uh and uh, and other um, sources of, of poultry, right, other mm-hmm. sources of food, and bringing that precision and accuracy and te- the technology will, will enable. And so that's going to be more software engineering, more you know products that are developed and put in the market, more AI and analytics that are part of the solution over and over again to help those growers be more and more and more productive, mm-hmm. right? which helps their livelihood. And also helps them produce what they're producing more sustainably. Like, so like, I get excited talking about this, like that's I mean, cool stuff, right? Go that is, with it. That is yeah, absolutely. Cool. And and very necessary, right? Mm-hmm. Very, very, very necessary.
1: Well, and let's, uh, while we're on that whole topic of food production, let's talk about like the food, the overage and the waste problem, because I know that's another... Um, that's another great button to push with you because you've got yeah. lots of you've got lots of mission-based stories around that. Um, t- tell us about that.
0: Well, so there's depending on what study you look at, I'll I'll mm-hmm. use the McKinsey study. It's there's anywhere between thirty and forty percent of the world's food that's either lost, wasted, or it's wasted food. So we what we mm-hmm. categorize that as there's food loss, and that's in production right? Mm-hmm. So when you're manufacturing you your yields and, and you know, that's not the biggest part of the problem because we get, we're getting very precise in the production of food, but there still is food loss there. It could also be a rail car rolls over or some accident occurs, right? So um, there's food loss, there's food waste, and then there's wasted food. And wasted food is, you know, you, you make too much, you can't keep it as a leftover and eat it mm-hmm. the next day in the fridge or whatever, and you scrape it into the disposal or out, out it goes, right? And so there are a plethora of new technology and platform capabilities um, that, that the, both the startup industry and Cargill are involved in. And one of the ways we're involved in that is with our startup accelerator with Techstars, our partnership with Techstars, where mm-hmm. we take on and mentor 10 companies a year. I think I was mentioning that earlier. There's money going in into that right? And then there's another unique um, place where money is going into, and that is what we call the problem of overages, shortages, and damages of food, which is part of the 30 to 40%. McKinsey also states that that's about a $15 billion a year problem, wow. right? $15 billion a year, overages, shortages, and damages, right? Mm-hmm. And we're, we're pretty sure technology innovation and platform and services and analytics right are going to have an impact on on lowering um that that's cost it's wasted right i mean and and, uh and we'll be able to bring precision and accuracy and much much more efficiency which yet again will have a a impact on sustainability right? right so this is you know nourish the world safe responsible sustainable way this is our um aspiration and we're putting our money towards it and our technology talent towards it to make those problems less of a problem. And, and, you know, the, the participants of that will benefit as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm thinking in these last few minutes, let's just, let's wrap up with some of, some of the Justin Kershaw wisdom from those 25 years <laughs> in the CIO chair Hall of Famer, I know you mentioned the Aquatics, I know that was a CIO 100 Innovation Award winner, mm-hmm. I think probably two years ago. Um, and we've talked a little bit about the accountability, keeping kind of the, that, that mentoring you got from one of your CEOs, um, but the coaching, the ability to elevate the team around you. Uh, leave us with a few thoughts on the mentoring and coaching aspects of the way you work as a CIO, and maybe something you'd like to see all of your fellow CIOs doing as well.
0: Well, c- coaching is it's uh, it's a passion, uh, and I you know I I do not do it to this day, but I did do it throughout my career for many years, um, from you know basketball to rowing, and yeah. uh, you know at high school and junior levels, and um, I found it uh, you know from a career standpoint a safe way to develop. My leadership skill set. Yeah. One to to think think like a coach, right? So there's lots of books you can read on on that, uh, you know, and and you know because it's not what you say when you're the coach; it's what you do, right? And um, you know, and so it's it's how you how you present yourself. Um, it's your strategy, and you have to have one. You have to be able to explain it. So explaining it to a young person, I found quite challenging because yeah. uh, you can't make it too sophisticated, right? And then you have to break it down into goals and objectives and mm-hmm. and a culture, right? Every team, every whether it's a you know, football team or soccer team or basketball or rowing or track, mm-hmm. you know, or an orchestra, you know, or a band, you have a culture. And and it's a really really important piece that we sometimes don't pay enough attention to when we're executives and we, Mm -hmm. know, and so I would say to everyone bring, you know, read about great coaching, read about great coaches. There's all different kinds of styles, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, and think about bringing that into the profession, because the other thing a coach does that we often back away from um, to win, you have to risk, you have to take risks. And No great coach ever runs out onto the field and executes the play, right? Your players have to do that. Mm -hmm. So your ability to have that culture, create that culture, set those goals, you know, inspire them, um, and then let them go and do it right. Mm -hmm. Um, and take some risks with people, uh, you know, that to me, um, that advances our profession. Right. I mean, we, you know, it's an, it's an honor to do this job and it's an honor. I think in these days to be in this profession, it really is. We got to not forget that, right? These are really truly are incredible times and Mm -hmm. we get to do, and I certainly, I get to do some things I never dreamed I would be up to, but uh, I would say the more we can bring that coaching mindset and those things I I talk about uh, the more you'll advance people um, and you'll advance the, and what we're able to accomplish
1: great great answer thank you so much for this and it's i have to add to that list of honors that it's really an honor to have you on here today and being talking about all of this on our leadership live show so thank you for making the time for this justin it's been great catching up and as i said you'll probably have a whole bunch of people that are going to be trailing after you now on linkedin and wanting to become part of your network
0: okay well thank you and thanks to the whole production team who helped know pull this
1: together yes they do a wonderful job if you joined us late here today don't worry you can watch the full episode later today right here on linkedin but also on cio.com or youtube CIO Leadership Live is also available as an audio podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Justin Kershaw of Cargill as much as I did, and that you'll join me for our next episode of Leadership Live, which will be two weeks from today on Wednesday, uh, February the 17th and I'll be joined by Lukman Faisal, who is the CIO of New Jersey Transit Corp, which is the third largest transit system in the United States. Please take a moment before you leave us to subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is called IDG Tech Talk, where you can find all the previous episodes of CIO Leadership Live. And thanks again to my CIO friends at CIO.com and also to our CIO Executive Council for your ongoing support of the show. We'll see you again next time. Stay warm out there and stay safe.
0: This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.